Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'd like you to go to the Galatians reading, the next slide. And I'd like you all to read this with me. And I want you to especially emphasize the words, but Christ who lives in me. Read that real loudly, okay? Let's read it together. I have been been crucified with Christ. Christ. It is no no longer longer I who live, but Christ Christ who lives lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I see Christ in you. I know many of you very well here today. And so many times when I'm interacting with you, I'm talking to you, I'm relating to you, I'm ministering to you, I see Jesus Christ in you. Why? Because Christ lives in you. Jesus Christ lives in me. Sometimes it's not easy for people to see that, but quite frankly, Jesus Christ, according to the Word of God, according to what we just read, lives in me. And I want people to see His love in me, His light in me, His forgiveness in me, His peace in me, His joy. As a matter of fact, my mission statement in life is to reflect the joy that I have in Jesus Christ to everyone I meet. I want people to see Jesus Christ in me. And I want it to be seen in my character, in my disposition, in my words, in my actions, in my conduct, in my attitude, and in my joy. I want people to see Jesus Christ in me. I'll bet you want people to see Jesus Christ in you as well. I would venture to guess there's not one of you here today that would say, I don't want people to see Jesus in me. (laughs) That may come from your flesh, but not from the new man, from the spirit inside of you. Anybody who believes in Christ here today, and I assume all of you do, have the attitude and the disposition, I want people to see Jesus in me. Right? Can I get an amen? Amen. But what's one of the best ways to see that happen in your life? Very good question. Let me ask that question again. What's one of the best ways for that to happen in your life? So that people can readily identify that you belong to Jesus. And they can see it in your speech, in your conduct, in your attitude, and it's reflected in the way you interact with other people. You desire that people might see Jesus Christ in you. And again, the question, what's one of the best ways that that can happen? To answer that, we go to our text today, and and to set up our text, it is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Jesus had died. He had been raised from the dead. 
As you've heard me say so many times, he stuck around for 40 days to give undeniable proof that he was alive. As a matter of fact, I had a conversation with somebody recently who said, I don't buy the whole Christian shtick about Jesus being alive. And I said, there were so many people that saw him who wrote about it. As a matter of fact, Luke, after he had carefully investigated many of the stories he had heard and looked at all the evidence around him and talked to the eyewitnesses, he said without reservation, Jesus lives. Do you say without reservation today, Jesus Christ lives? Amen. Amen. You do. And so what happened? Jesus ascended up into heaven. He told the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Of course, they did. Tongues of fire were on top of their heads. They were proclaiming the word of God in people's native tongues. The world was turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now, Jesus Christ, listen to this, Jesus Christ, listen to this, Jesus Christ lived in the disciples and it gave undeniable evidence that they were alive in Christ. So one day, they were heading to the temple and they were going to pray. It was nine o'clock in the morning. And there was a cripple outside the gate of this temple and he had not walked his entire life. And he was asking for what we oftentimes see on West Colfax or downtown. He was asking for a handout. And what did Peter and John say? Gold and silver? We don't have any of that, but in the name of Jesus, we command you to get up on your feet and walk. And guess what? Strength, Luke tells us, came to his ankles. He got up on his feet, and for the first time in his life, he was walking, leaping and praising God, and the evidence was undeniable. And people who had been going to the temple all their lives, day in and day out, saw this man, and they realized now he's able to walk. What in the world is happening? And so they flock, they literally flock to Peter and John, and they say, how in the world did you do this? Now what's Peter say? How about them Broncos? Is that what he said? No! He says, it's by Jesus Christ whom you crucified, but God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. And we were witnesses to his resurrection. Now by this time, the religious leaders have caught wind of this. And they come to Peter and John and they're upset that they're proclaiming in Christ the resurrection of the dead. So what do they do? What do they say? They say, how about them nuggets? No, what do they say? They say, we're going to put you in prison. And we're going to talk about this. And tomorrow, we're going to bring you before all the religious council. And we're going to tell you guys to stop talking about in Jesus Christ the resurrection of the dead. So that's where we pick up verse 5. And I love it. Let's go ahead and look at verse 5. Would you read this with me? Just verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. Who were these guys? This is what they called back then the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day. Basically, essentially, they, they were enveloped by Pharisees and scribes and the majority of the Sanhedrin, listen to this, was the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, believe it or not, denied the resurrection. 
These were the same guys who just a few weeks before stood toe-to-toe with Jesus and nailed him to the cross. Now, Peter has an opportunity to give a speech, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ in front of these same bozos who just a few weeks before nailed Jesus to the cross. And they denied, remember the Sadducees denied what? You say it? Resurrection. The resurrection. And what's Peter proclaiming? In Jesus Christ, he's been what? Raised from the dead. So they want to get rid of these guys as quickly as they got rid of Jesus. Go on to verse 6. With Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who are the high priestly family. <laughs> um, Annas was the, the father-in-law of Caiaphas. But listen to this, the Romans didn't like him. They didn't get along with Annas. And so they had power to depose him. And so he was deposed, but Jewish people still respected Annas. And now his son-in-law, his daughter's husband, Caiaphas was the leader and the high priest of the Jewish faith. And so Annas and Caiaphas and their cronies who were in their family, we don't know who these guys were, it says Alexander and John, they obviously were relatives of these guys, and they too not only got rid of Jesus, now they wanted to get rid of the disciples. Verse 7, I'll go ahead and read it. And when they had seen them in the midst, they required by what power or by what name did you do this? In other words, they thought the disciples were possessed by a demon, and it's because they were possessed by a demon that they were able to make this crippled man well. Really, they weren't concerned so much about the miracle. They just wanted to get to the teaching of Peter and John that in Christ, people are raised from the dead, and Jesus himself rose from the dead. That's what they wanted to get to. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed let it be known to you and to all of you and the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him <coughs> this man is standing before you well now who were these guys who were Peter and John? <coughs> what was their profession, their ex-profession? They were fishermen. They were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men. And now they were standing eyeball to eyeball with the same guys who nailed the Son of God to the cross. And they were proclaiming Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ powerfully and magnificently and courageously. Now, what kind of courage did they have? Not a reckless courage where they said, well, we really don't know what's going to happen here. If we profess the name of Jesus, we really don't know what's going to happen. Oh, no. This wasn't a reckless courage. Peter and John knew full well that if they proclaimed Jesus Christ raised from the dead in front of these guys who had nailed him to the cross, what were they risking? Their lives. And now, it's interesting, the word healed is the Greek word sozo. So this man stands you sozoed, totally healed by the name of Jesus. Now in verse 12, which we're going to look at here in just a minute, the same word is used that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name by which we must be saved, sozoed, 
but the name of Jesus. So what's he saying there? The same name of Jesus that healed this man and brought strength to his ankles is the same Jesus who saves us. How cool is that? Amen? Same word. Jesus has the power to heal. Jesus has the power to save. That's what he was saying. Look at verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. What's he talking about there? Century in and century out, the chosen people of God obviously was the what? The Jewish nation, right? And from that Jewish nation came prophets. And the prophets basically said, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. Now the Messiah finally came, and what did those who were part of the building, the Jewish faith, what did they do with the Messiah? They crucified him. So it says here, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builder, the builders, which has become what? You say it. Cornerstone. What's a cornerstone? It basically makes sure that the lines of the building are right. And if the lines of the building are right and everything is straight, the rest of the building is built properly. And so what Peter here is saying is Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. He is the Son of God. He's been raised from the dead. Salvation is found in no one else but Him. Put your trust in Him. Verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He was basically saying, just because you're a descendant of Abraham and you are of the Jewish faith, that does not save you. Faith in Jesus Christ alone saves you, religious leaders. I'm here to tell you today that you are not saved by a name. Well, I'm Episcopalian, that's why I'm saved. Or I'm Methodist, and that's why I'm saved. Or I'm Catholic, and that's why I'm saved. Or I'm Lutheran, and that's why I'm saved. You are not saved by a name. You are saved by the name. Amen? Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected for the forgiveness of sins. What does Peter say? Your salvation's not found in anybody else. Not your works, not your good intentions, not going to church, not living a good life and avoiding the wrong thing. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He is the only way to heaven. Now, what do you think these Jewish leaders thought of all of this? Do you think they said... Wow, this is really good stuff. Tell us more. You think that's what they said? Man, we can't wait to hear more. You're right. We're responsible for the crucifixion of the Son of God. We messed up. We repent. Jesus will forgive us. It's all good. Is that what they said? No. But I love this next verse, and this is the whole message today, what I'm trying to get at. Look at this. Now, when they saw, look at this, the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men they were what astonished. astonished these guys didn't have theological degrees they didn't go to st. Louis seminary for four years 
They didn't say, well, we need to study the Word of God all the more and we're going to go away to rabbinical school for eight years. No, no, no. These were unschooled, ordinary, uneducated guys. And so they came to a recognition about their life. And this is the key point I want you to get today. And they recognized that these men had been what? With Jesus. Jesus. Isn't that cool? They associated their boldness their courage with the fact that they had been with Jesus. Now, I got to ask you, how long were they with Jesus? They got the best seminary training anybody could get. They were experiencing God every day, 24-7, 365 days a year for three years straight, experiencing in a very literal way God in their midst and hearing the teachings and seeing the miracles and rubbing shoulders with the king of kings and Jesus saying when he left when I leave not only will the Holy Spirit be with you but I will be with you and I will listen to this dwell yes boom I will dwell in you now here's the deal well Jesus dwelt in them He doesn't dwell in me. Well, they were powerful witnesses for Christ, but I'm just an ordinary guy or an ordinary gal. Nothing special. I had somebody tell me that this week. Well, I'm nothing extraordinary, nothing special. And I told him, dude, who lives in you? Who makes you special and unique? What did I say at the beginning of this sermon? I see Jesus Christ in you. Besides the Lord's Supper, the closest way we're going to ever experience in a tangible, visible, relational way the love and the light and the peace of Jesus is in union and communion and fellowship with each other. I told a guy I went out to lunch this past week, and this guy is in our life group. And I said, I miss you when you're not there. And he said, why? What do you think I said? Because I see what? Jesus in you. I do. I, I said that to our, our sound guy today, to Everett, our, our, our tech advisor here at our church. I said, Everett, I see Jesus in you. You know what he said to me? Well, I don't see Jesus. No, he didn't say that. (laughs) He was touched. Are you touched to know that Jesus Christ lives in you? Is that not the coolest thing? And so here's the deal. I'm encouraging every one of you, every one of you, every one of you to be in a journey group for six weeks, beginning on September 18th. And the reason I want you to be in a journey group is because I want you to rub shoulders with people who love Jesus. And I want people to have the same reaction when they see you in a life group as we journey together. And the reason we call this the journey begins, as we journey together, I want people who maybe don't know you to see Jesus in you. And you know what's going to happen? That will rub off on them. When the disciples hung out for three years with the Lord Jesus Christ, his power and his light 
rubbed off on them. And that's why they could so courageously proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ despite the opposition, knowing indeed that they were risking their lives to tell the truth about Jesus. Jesus was so powerfully evident in their lives, there was no doubt, no hesitation, who these men belonged to. And then when you get together with other people in your journey group, do you know where I really hope people will see Jesus in you? In your family in your workplace, in your school, in your community, in your neighborhood, that people like the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes would look at you and be astonished and come to the conclusion, not only there's something different about you, but that they might say, that lady, that guy, They're a follower of that Jesus. And you can tell. Last week we talked about this, and I encourage you to uh, take this seriously. Because I want you to experience the love of Jesus in a close, personal way with other Christians. And knowing you after being here for 19 years, knowing many of you very well, it's, I go home because I've spent time with God's people, I go home as high as a kite on Sunday afternoon because I see Jesus in you. And I want you to experience that in a journey group. So would you kindly get this out right now? It's at the end of the pew. And this is what I'd like you to do. If you didn't sign up for a journey group last week, okay, if you weren't here or you said, I got to think about it, I want you to sign up for a journey group today. We'll assign you, we'll put you in a group, we'll put hopefully singles with singles and families with families so that you have a lot in common. But I remember when we did this about eight or 10 years ago for 40 days of purpose and 40 days of peace, many of those groups stayed together because they saw so readily Jesus Christ dwelling in those people. So if you didn't sign up last week, please sign up today. Just put your name on there, email, phone number, etc. Indicate your preference for what kind of group you want to be in and then just kindly hand it to an usher as you come forward for communion. Why? Because I want other people that may not know you here at peace to see Jesus in you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for what you mean to us, what you've done for us through your son. We thank you that that beautiful passage, and God, I'm so glad it's there, and there are many others in Galatians, that we're crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in us. How wonderful it is to know that we're getting a taste of experiencing God in a tangible, visible, relational way when we are with one another in community. So God, I pray that you would transform our church through our journey groups beginning on September 18th. Let it not only transform our church, but Lord, in a way, transform our community so that those around us might say, like the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, oh my goodness, those people have been with Jesus. Let it be so and let it be done to the glory of God's holy and saving name. 
Amen. Please stand. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus and to life everlasting. Amen.